0: This is essential. 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 This is essential audio.
1: Hello, and welcome to this walk podcast. My name is Chiara Manco, and today we're going to be talking about creative effectiveness. And in particular, we're going to discuss some of the winners of this year's creative effectiveness category of canned lions, which rewards creativity that really drives results. And a couple of weeks ago at WALK, we published an insights report featuring themes from this year's winning work. And we are so lucky to have with us today two of those amazing winners. So here with me are Tas Sitsopoulos, Group Strategy Director for the McDonald's Account at Wyden & Kennedy, New York, who worked on their bronze-winning Travis Scott Neal campaign, and Shelley Brown, Chief Strategy Officer at FCB Canada, who worked on the gold-winning Project Understood for the Canadian Down Syndrome Society. They both wrote brilliant articles for the reports we published, so I'm so thrilled to have them here. Thank you so much for joining me, Shelley and Tess.
0: Hello. Hey.
1: So, these two campaigns may seem, you know, well apart. and In fact, they are completely different in the sense that they tackle different issues, they target different audiences but there is something that they do have in common and that is they both engaged communities and consumer participation as a creative strategy is something that we've seen um, on the rise this year among the shortlisted entries into the creative effectiveness alliance and these two winners are great examples so on the one hand we had mcdonald's which engaged fandoms, and on the other hand project understood engage the Down syndrome community. So Tass, I want to start with you. So the Travis Scott meal was actually part of the broader uh, Famous Orders campaign, right? So why don't you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yes, great. So Famous Orders started with a simple insight that no matter how rich or famous you are, everyone has a McDonald's order, right? A very unifying, democratic insight. And what we did very simply is we then partnered with a few famous fans like Travis Scott, who you mentioned, BTS, Saweetie, uh, so fans could then come in and buy that meal. So that's the campaign in a, in a nutshell.
1: Yeah. And of course, your initial target, uh, were the celebrities, fans. But the reality is that eventually this campaign took on a life of its own and became, you know, a cultural event in the, in the US in its own right. And it, it's one of the themes that we explore in the report, how a fan first approach can actually then evolve into something that has mass reach. So what do you think? It was about famous orders that made it, you know, a fan first campaign that then also had mainstream appeal.
2: Right. We picked artists with specific fan bases and we made sure that we activated each campaign in an authentic way that these fandoms would respond to. So for example, we launched Travis like a streetwear drop because that spoke to the world that he operates in. He's a musician, but he's also much more than that. Uh, For BTS, we took a page out of the k-pop playbook and so we did a kind of world tour with all the announcements in the way that uh, a k-pop band would do it and we include those easter eggs that those fans would love but then we also made sure each campaign was accessible enough to give them more mainstream appeal just like you've been saying
1: and shelly coming to you project understood was a completely different brief so for you was less about Um, fandoms or even, you know, mass reach, it was a specific community. So can you start telling us a bit more about Project Understood?
0: Sure. So Project Understood came out of an ongoing partnership and a long-term platform, which is to empower people with Down syndrome to take action for themselves and for their community. So the thing is, what's happening right now, which is a very, very good thing, is that people with Down syndrome are living longer. The consequence of that, though, is that this is really the first generation of people with Down syndrome who are very likely to outlive their parents, their primary caregivers. So the whole issue of helping people with Down syndrome live more independently is of critical importance right now. And the thing is, many are capable of living on their own with the right supports in place. So we started asking ourselves about what technologies could be useful in this endeavor. Uh, And especially with the rapid expansion of voice technology, it was something we were looking at for other clients. And we thought, okay, well, how could voice technology be useful? So we did what we always do, which is we go and talk to people in the Down syndrome community. And yes, voice technology had the potential to make a huge difference just in terms of daily lives, reminders and directions, that kind of thing. But that's where we ran into a problem. Voice tech basically doesn't work with people with, for people with Down syndrome. Um, it doesn't understand them. They speak differently, and it can't figure out what they're trying to say. And we found that this is actually true for the 78 million people around the world who have atypical speech. So we decided, all right, if voice technology could be useful for the community and it doesn't work for them, what we've got to do is change the technology. I admit sometimes our ideas are a little audacious where, you know, we're just, let's just go and change voice. That's what we need to do. The technology doesn't work. Let's fix it. Um, and what we really had to do was understand how voice technology was built. And the fact is it was built for people with standard speech because that's the data, the voice data that was used to develop the technology in the first place. So it was really a data problem. We just had to figure out how to get better data to a voice technology platform.
1: And an element of this work that judges really, really admired was the empowering uh, right side of, of, of it. So it was not just making life better for the Down syndrome community, but it was giving them the tools to make that change themselves, to change their future for the better themselves. So What sort of uh, lessons can you share for, you know, anyone looking to adopt a similar strategy and create a similarly empowering
0: campaign? Uh, Absolutely. So really, a strategy based around empowerment has to come from a relationship that is based in partnership. It it has to come from listening, learning, researching. But you've got to be really, really clear about who the expert is. Who has the knowledge? Who has the experience? And it's not the agency. I have worked with the Canadian Down Syndrome Society for about seven years now, and I don't know anything about Down syndrome. I am not the expert. I know a thing or two about advertising and marketing, and I'm pretty good at that. But the people with Down syndrome, their families, they, their caregivers, these are the experts, and our job is to to listen. What are the issues? What are the challenges? And then look for innovative solutions. That's where it comes from.
1: Yeah, brilliant. And Tass, in a certain sense, you know, your campaign, uh, Famous orders as a whole also had an element of audience empowerment, right? Because you allowed and you encouraged the celebrities and the fans, the audience themselves to play with the idea, to make it their own. So in your article, you called this sharing the pen.
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. We we use that term a lot. Um, it's about being confident and comfortable enough to let fans own a piece of that action, like you were saying, to relinquish some of that creative control. You know, companies just want to control everything and squeeze out any risk. And um, so, examples on our side, uh, for example, creating packaging for BTS that was a bit like a textile, um, because we knew fans would then create their own uh, versions of merch. And I mean, they went, they made everything from uh, sort of, um, stationary shoes, uh, they were, they were line drying the packaging to then reuse it. Um, so that was one example. Another one was, uh, you know, encouraging fans to hack our menu along with Saweetie. So again, a big corporation like McDonald's a few years ago would never have dreamed of encouraging people to hack the menu, but because Saweetie, that's how she eats it. That's how she's always eaten it. She'll mix, you know, fillet fish with a hamburger and stuff. Um, because that's true to her order. And so, again, authenticity, and I'll touch on this a bit later, but it is just so key to everything here.
1: And another... Aspect that we think is shared by both of your campaigns is something that was mentioned by Holly Jordan, who's the research director at Neuro Insight, and we actually commissioned a piece to her for this uh, report, um, asking her to analyse the winners from, you know, the point of view of our subconscious of the human's brain. It, human's brain yeah so the the, a neuroscience perspective essentially Uh, and one of the points she made was that the more relatable something is the more likely the brain is to encode it and of course from memory structures are the foundations of a brand success right so she said as humans we are hardwired to find social connection so content that focuses on real people is hugely effective and Definitely both of your campaigns had this element. So they had real people, they had an element of relatability, with, which then made it uh, possible to create social connections with the audiences. So for Shelley, for you, it was about putting the Down syndrome community front and centre, not just in terms of donating their voice, but also turning them into advocates for the cause, right? They were essentially leading the comms for this campaign.
0: It's absolutely true. And that's been core to our strategy since our first campaign with the Canadian Down Syndrome Society, Down Syndrome Answers, and in every campaign since. We really want to empower people with Down Syndrome to speak for themselves and act on behalf of their community. Uh, Because really, our goal is to show the world that people with Down Syndrome should not be underestimated. Um, And I think Holly's point is really important. If we think of people with Down syndrome or any community as somehow other, different from us, little distant, people we can't relate to or don't know much about, it is possible for us to ignore them and push them out of our minds and not therefore care about their needs. But if we simply allow people with Down syndrome to speak for themselves, in a sense to introduce themselves to us, to show us what they're capable of and in this case, being capable of nothing uh, less than changing voice technology, we can also change how the community is seen. And we can relate to them and the challenges that they are facing. And for you, Tess,
1: you managed to make celebrities relatable, which, you know, it's not that, it's not that easy to do. So how, how did you do that?
2: Very true. And, and actually, I love Holly's take on it, the way you described it. Because that, that's exactly what we've done, um, show how celebrities are just normal people and do normal things, like have nuggets as a side or dip their fries in sweet and sour sauce or mix their, you know, hack their burgers. Um, so I would also add that nostalgia played a big role in in the campaigns. You know, we're, we're creating new brand equity, but it's rooted in existing equity and associations. For example, just look at the the merch that Travis designed and we did sort of three drops, all rooted in that nostalgic iconography, but sort of repurposed uh, for a contemporary and, and younger audience.
1: And another trend that we noticed looking at data this year was a massive increase in partnerships being used as a creative strategy. So if we look at 2021, Last year, only 1% of shortlisted entries into this category use partnerships. And this year, it went up to 40. So it's a massive leap. And we saw how many of the winners partnered with tech companies. And so they merged innovation with creativity. And that certainly was the case for Project Understood. And one thing that I really, that really struck me about the article you wrote, uh, Shelley, was you mentioned, um, Google, like your partnership with Google and said that Google is a tech that is normally our teacher, but instead you use it to empower the Down syndrome community to become its teachers. Um, and this is actually, this is really fascinating, really intriguing, uh, but I can only imagine how hard it must be to work and actually suggest changes, suggest improvements to a big technology giant like Google.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but honestly, the biggest challenge was getting to the right person within Google. We initially reached out to all of the different voice platforms, and Google was where we got the most traction. Uh, but Google is, as you put it, giant, right? It is a massive organization. It took a lot of perseverance and more than a little bit of resilience on our part just to keep making phone calls, keep sending emails, go back at it again, Um, and also a little bit of luck. Uh, But of course, luck favors the prepared and the tenacious. But once we found the right people within Google, we were able to make progress um, in really quite an amazing way because the team at Google is motivated. They are always working to improve their technologies, all of their technologies, And they do genuinely want their technology to work for everyone. So the desire, the motivation were already there, but they did not have the data to make it happen. Voice samples from people with atypical speech. And of course, that is where we could come in. And that's how partnerships work after all, right? It has to be mutual benefit. We could provide something they needed. They could not move forward without the data. We could get the data. And so we had the makings of a, a partnership. basically, you've got to figure out what can we do that they need so that they will do what we need, which was of course to use the data to update the algorithm so that voice technology going forward can work better for everybody with atypical speech
1: and Task for the famous Audits campaign, obviously, you partner with the celebrities, which I imagine is not that easy either. Uh, I'm sure they you know they have their own uh, quirks and demands or um you know um, what were your challenges uh in that and your learnings
2: I, I i've signed ndas i'm not going to be able to reveal anything uh, <laughs> but no um, no no
1: inside it, scoop no stories
2: I, I think we did a social post with uh, mariah carey's rider at one point so um so I think that was you know you know she's Mariah Carey so she 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 gets she gets what she wants, but the, the so so I, I think I mentioned this a minute ago you know the starting point for us was authenticity, such an overused actually one of my most hated words, um, because it's often used abused you know for stuff that really isn't authentic, but it is such a key underpinning for us and um, they had to be real fans with a real love for the brand so. For us, it's a very easy test. If there's no evidence in social media, in the press, online, of you eating a McDonald's, you in the drive-through, you you know drinking from one of our cups, you're probably not a real fan. You know, we're lucky that we're such a big brand that if you if there isn't evidence existing, then then we don't believe you when you say you you love the brand. And so that is such an important stra- starting point. You know, like w- from the very first one, Travis, right? He says same order since back in Houston. And, and ever since then, it's got to be that real fan, because once you have that foundation, then the partnership is easy. You know, then you feel very confident in that. Sh- we, we talk about creating shared equity between this partner and McDonald's, between this, these two brands, these two icons, icon to icon. So once you have that authentic underpinning, you're confident in creating it, you're confident in sharing the pen um, and because, you know, it comes from a good place.
1: And lastly, I have a question for you both. Can you share anything on where your work is going next? Any sneak peek, any preview? Uh,
0: First of all, uh, the impact of Project Understood is ongoing. So, you know, it doesn't end where we've left off. Um, Google has now just launched Project Relate, which is going to open up our beta testing to anyone with atypical speech. So they're now testing new versions of the voice assistant, and it is evolving the technology right now, which is pretty amazing. Uh, So watch this space. There will be more. Um, And that will be creating change for the Down syndrome community, certainly, but also all 78 million people around the planet with atypical speech. And um, over the past two years, we've been working with um, Dr. Dan Gordon of Anglia Rusk University, on the world's first academic research study on the impact of exercise on cognition for people with Down syndrome. Um, the Mindsets paper, which has now been published, which has invol- involved uh, people from uh, around the world with Down syndrome. And it really has the power to change how doctors treat their patients with Down syndrome and give the community another tool to help them live more independently, because the fact is exercise has a tremendous impact on cognition. And now we're taking on the challenge of employment. Uh, People with Down syndrome tell us that they often find it very, very difficult to find jobs in spite of the fact that they quite often have precisely the skills, the talent and the aptitude needed for the job. But because of a misunderstanding of uh, the community, um, they find that whole process very, very difficult. So that's going to be our next challenge. Wow. Yeah,
1: definitely a lot to keep an eye out for. That's brilliant.
2: That's awesome. Uh, I feel stupid coming with stuff about fame sort of following that, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. So I think... You know, we didn't do a famous orders this year. You might notice for the for the eagle-eyed out there, um, but don't be surprised if it comes back. Um, you know, there've been a lot of sort of celebrity meals in the time that since we launched. Travis Scott. So when we do bring it back, we want to bring it back in the right way. But also for us, it's not about you know. Yes, it's it's easy to repeat a winning formula to w- repeat a winning platform, but you never want to become formulaic um, because then then you, you sort of lose your lose your leadership. So. So for us, it's like, what can the behavior we learn in Famous Orders, the interaction with our fans, the kind of equity we co-create, how can that inspire other similar programs but different? So, um, you know, in the last year, I mentioned Sweetie encouraged people to hack the menu. We then did a whole separate menu hacks campaign in February of this year, where we we just took that and just went much bigger with it. Um, There's a campaign launching in October that, again, you can see there are some similarities, but there's also big differences. So it's like, how do we, you know, uh, how do we take some of the elements that we see as special and then just use those to inspire new, new platforms, new campaigns? Um, I think that's, that's, how we, that's how we try and do it.
1: Nice. I'm looking forward to this grand return. So wonderful. Thank you so much, Shelley. And thank you so much, Tass. It was an absolute pleasure to talk with you today.
2: Thank you. Likewise. Thank you.
1: If you want to learn more about the work that we explored today, you can find all of the winners on WALK and download our Insights Report on the 2022 Creative Effectiveness Lions winners. And as we are in the topic of celebrating inspiring work, I thought I'd take this chance to remind you of the WALK Awards that we currently have open for entries. And it's actually three regional competitions. We have the Walk Awards for Effectiveness North America, the Walk Awards for MENA Strategy, and Walk Awards for Asian Strategy. They're all open for entries, all free to enter, and deadline is on the 21st of September. So do enter the work you're most proud of to get it recognized. Thanks for listening.